the Studio Cuts Podcast with Taylor with WRRV. This is the Studio Cuts Podcast. Hey, it's Taylor from 92.7, WRRV. And the Studio Cuts Podcast is where we interview artists that were featured on Sunday Studio Cuts, our new music show on WRRV. Today, we're talking to Porter Robinson, who's getting ready to release their new album, Nurture. Where are you right now? I am in uh, North Carolina. I'm in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. That's, uh, that's where I grew up. What is it like down there in just like weather, terms of COVID? What's it like? Well, uh, North Carolina is like very four seasons-y. You know, it, we, we will get like one snow in the winter, blisteringly hot in the summer and humid, crazy pollen in the spring and like beautiful autumn. There's like mountains like two hours to the to the west and beach two hours to the right really really nice place to live or to the east (laughs) um and uh yeah with covid i think we're like right down the middle in terms of how well we're doing so you know it's it's just just pretty 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 normal out here i've just been taking this time to further develop my album and put as much time and care and attention into it as i possibly could and it was interesting you know it was like I was supposed to turn in my album about a year ago and oh. it was supposed to be done. And, you know, we had, I had already started rolling out multiple singles uh, to lead up to an album release. And then the pandemic hit and it just put every, everyone's plans on, on, on pause. Um, and, you know, for me, that meant to take as much time as needed to, improve the album and write more songs and explore the vision a little bit further. Um, and honestly, I think the album really, really benefited from, from that extra time. It's like, it's like, you know, you're, you're, it's like finding out you got a year extension on your thesis or something <laughs> like that. It, that's how it felt for me. So, um, yeah. Now you're working on kind of, like an alternative EDM type album, but you're mainly this wildly successful EDM musician and producer. Do you see any real differences from the EDM world and the alternative music world? Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, a little bit of background about, about me, because um, it, it, it's, it's a bit of a story and it's an unusual one, but I was uh, somebody who just made music on the computer um, since I was 12 years old on my mom's PC, I would just illegally download like <laughs> music production programs. And I was a little gamer kid, you know, um, back before every kid was a gamer kid, I suppose. Um, and so I had been making music for about six years on the computer when I was 18 years old. And all of a sudden, sort of one of my songs had this runaway success. Um, in the electronic music world. And EDM wasn't a coined term, actually, at that point. That was in 2010, or it was in 2009. And EDM first started kind of being said around 2010, 2011. So, you know, at that point, there was, like, very little electronic music in America. And what I was doing at that point felt really, truly alternative in its essence. Like, it felt kind of rebellious and subversive, like, like just a bunch of young kids making electronic music on their laptops was such a novelty at the time. And uh, then, you know, the ensuing years, as EDM became the thing that it did, this arena-sized, you know, big festival thing 
very heavily commercialized, I started to feel pretty differently about it. Like, Mm -hmm. I felt like the scene had really changed around me. And I think, like, sort of in pursuit of being one of the genre stars, I had kind of, like, I was trying so hard to be cool that I wasn't really being myself or expressing my taste to the fullest. So in 2014, I wrote this album called Worlds, which was... um, it was an album all about, like, it was an ode to fiction, basically. It was mm-hmm. about all the beauty and joy that you can find in in books and games and these other worlds that imagination is able to to, to bring us to. Um, and that album sort of had one foot in the EDM world and one foot out. Uh, and ironically, that album be- went really huge in the EDM world. Like, it almost... <laughs> helped shape the future of what EDM was at that point. And so I, I, I felt like I was desperately trying to escape EDM. And ultimately what, did I, what I did ended up sort of getting synthesized into EDM, which I <laughs> no longer feel that much anxious about. So anyways, long story short, after that album came out, um, it did, it was, the, you know, it was the biggest thing that I had done to that point. And I just sort of hit a huge creative and emotional slump at that point where I would, you know, be spending 12, 13 hours a day trying to make music and I couldn't come up with anything that I was proud of. And the longer it went without me making music that I liked, the more desperate and more scared I became. Um, And this album Nurture is about sort of how I clawed myself back from the brinks of depression and a total lack of a sense of meaning and, um, and, you know, sort of learned how to make music again. And so this is a very long way of of answering your question, but um, in the end, I think it has one foot in dance music because that's just like sort of what I know and where I come from but I knew I wanted to write verse chorus songs, not like drop. That's where it feels a bit like pop and it feels a bit like alternative because the song structures are very verse pre chorus structure. Um, and, and so that, that's sort of how I got there. So now everyone knows everything about me. I mean, <laughs> God, such a long answer. Forgive me. No, I love it. What is the story behind your song that's blazing up the charts right now? Look at the sky. The, the earliest version of that song was written in 2016, um, and it was just a little melody in the beginning, the part that goes, and I was like, oh, that's really nice. Like that, it was one of the first things I had in my creative slump where I felt like this is something I can sink my teeth into, like this can become a full song. And, uh, you know, I, I, it took me a really long time to sort of songwriting chops the the ability to actually write lyrics that I felt deeply satisfied with and the ability to deliver with my voice um, and to produce the whole thing you know it was it just ended up taking like three or four years to to make that whole song and um, you know I think that song is just it's a mantra of hope it was like me at my absolute lowest when I was like I don't think I can make music anymore I I'm not sure what really the point of my existence is at this point, to be perfectly frank with you. And it was almost like if I could shout a sentiment 
it's the most hopeful sentiment I possibly could. If I shouted it loud enough, like I might start to believe it. So, you know, the chorus is look at the sky. I'm still here. I'll be alive next year. I can make something good. Um, and you know what I, I, it was just what it was what I wanted to believe. And I think because as, as dark as things got for me and as, as, as low as I sort of fell with anxiety and depression, the one thing that I really never wanted to lose was a belief that things could be better and that there was a meaning to what I was doing and that, you know, I just held on to hope, I think. And I think that's the defining trait of the album is, is it's about hope. That's really beautiful. And I think that's just something that so many people need to hear, need to relate to mm. and need to feel themselves. Mm. I agree. I mean, I, you know, it, 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 it's, it's tough because there's, I, there was a part of me that felt a bit strange putting out hopeful music into a world that is so, so deeply despairing at the moment. Um, but the thing that I would remind myself of is that, yes, there's a lot of alarm bells that need to be rung and there's a lot of problems that need to be solved. But if you're, if your information diet purely consists of basically despair and things that bring you outrage and things that theoretically should stir you to action, eventually it can get to the point that it's so overwhelming and the, the despair seems so hypersaturated in the way that you see the world that like you can't take action. Like if everything truly is as bad as the internet can make things seem, then like, what is the point of yeah. taking action? And, and so that's why I felt like it was important to make a hopeful album because like without hope, without a genuinely held belief that things can get better, then you just get beaten into the ground by, by the problems that we face. And, and so that's where I felt like, you know, there are so many people who are very effectively, you know, bringing people to a place where they, they want to take action or reminding us of, of everything that's wrong you know, mm-hmm. my role here can be to, for, on an individual and psychological level, for the people that are deeply depressed, to just kind of let them know that they're not alone and that the things that we do matter and that the, the actions that we take and the decisions that we make really do affect the people in our circle. And ultimately, that adds up to something like meaningful to, to the world. And so I felt like that was how I sort of fit into our world was like, you know, it's okay to make something mm-hmm. hopeful in this vein. The visuals for the video for Look at the Sky are really stunning mm-hmm. and different. What was the inspiration for that? Oh, so, there's, yeah, there's a couple of videos. There's one that's just like a, a landscape, and the other is the one with the ghosts. Mm-hmm. Which one do you... Uh, the, the, there's a, the music video for Look at the Sky, I can describe it, or you can, you can go check it out uh, if anyone listening. But the way that this video... Uh, it's kind of structured is it's me and I'm sitting in this little room and there's like a little natural landscape. There's grass growing in the room and there's all these instruments and um, I'm singing the song, look at the sky, but there are these ghosts that are all around me that are kind of supporting me and helping me. So like, I can't play guitar, but there's a big guitar section in the song. Mm -hmm. And so like I'm sitting there 
singing into a mic while I'm being held by one ghost is holding a microphone up to my mouth. Another one is playing the guitar with his ghostly little hands. Um, <laughs> and you see ghosts like building the piano and wiring the circuitry for the computer that I use to produce music. And ultimately the message of, of this video is like, <clears throat> even though I make all this music technically by myself, like I write the lyrics, I sing it, I produce it. Um, no one is truly an island and no one is truly alone. And, and like, I, for example, like if I was, you know, raised by wolves or whatever, if I was <laughs> raised on an island, there's no way I would have ever come up with the idea of there being 12 notes in an octave or the idea of a scale, or the idea of a chord, or even the idea of an instrument, of percussion, of rhythm. These are all these cultural developments that have been brought about by, by millions and millions of people's contributions. And so, you know, much less could I create even, I wouldn't know how to make up one single screw that would go into a computer, much less program an operating system and make music production software and develop a microphone. Like everything we do is so deeply intertwined with the contributions of other people. And to me, there's a real beauty in that story. And, and so that, that's what I wanted to depict was like, to me, being alive is this fleeting opportunity to add one little patch to this tapestry, the beautiful tapestry that we call human culture and, and, and creativity. And, you know, one of the things I do in my music is I pitch my voice way up digitally. So it sounds like a, like a woman's voice. And I have this sort of duet where I can, mm. I can duet with myself. And, you know, if some kid out there like hears that and decides to make that part of their world and of their music, like, you know, I've contributed something and, 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 you know, not to say that I was the first person to ever pitch my voice up in music, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like every, no one is alone in, in this stuff, and we're all contributing to culture piece by piece. And I, I just, yeah, I think it's really something beautiful. So that, that's, that's what the visuals are talking about. All these ghosts represent um, human creativity. Speaking of the vocal work that you do, there's talk of some some of that more digitally pitched voice and some other interesting techniques on the upcoming album. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So one of my techniques on this album is, is I, I discovered like through this various combination of plugins that I could put this effect on my voice that sort of sounds like maybe like a child's voice or maybe like a woman's voice. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I've always loved this idea of kind of being able to duet with myself. And a lot of the music that I love uh, is sang by people with higher pitched voices. Um, I'm like, I'm not musically. I'm not the biggest fan of like a like sort of low bass, bassy male voice. And that's what I've got. Mm -hmm. And, but I just knew that the sentiments that I, I had in these lyrics, I didn't want to bring somebody else in to sing them for me. I just felt like it would feel too distant and impersonal and kind of like kind of cringe for me to have somebody else sing my feelings for me. I wanted to, really do it myself, even though that isn't what I had done in, in the past with my music. So I kind of came up with this technique and I just remember the first time I heard it, I was like, 
that is a sound like, Oh my God, like that is something really fresh to me. Um, and it's so specific to our era and it's like, wasn't it possible with older technology? So I'm like, I really want to jump on this. Um, so yeah, like it, the, the second chorus of look at the sky is the sort of like cute squeaky voice. <laughs> and it's just me with a bunch of effects on. And I don't know. It just seems cool to me. I was like, I love any art that is really of its era, you know, and it mm-hmm. felt like this could be something that's very kind of 2020s, you know? So I always, I always like hope that in the future when people look back at whatever decade I was making music in, that they'll feel like it was kind of emblematic of the time, but, oh, that was such a, you know, that was such a 20s move. And, <laughs> you know, you sort of feel a little place in history through that sort of thing. <laughs> Besides the vocal work, what else can we expect from Nurture? So Nurture is an album that is very, on on the whole, it feels very hopeful. Um, And I try to explore that angle in a bunch of different styles. But um, yeah, the best way I can just describe it is that there's a lot of lyrical content that's about kind of the meaning behind creative work and about music itself and, uh, you know, about trying to find a purpose and the, the thing that I love in music more than anything else. Like I remember the very first song that caught my attention when I was, I think 10 years old, it was a thousand miles by Vanessa Carlton. I heard that <laughs> on the radio and it was like, it was like I had this musical awakening where I was like, wait, like this sounds really pretty. And like, I think that I just anchored on that. And I mean, there, there were a few other, like Daft Punk I heard when I was 11, completely changed my life. And that was sort of what got me into electronic music. But I, whenever I listen to my own music, I'm still like, man, these harmonies still feel very kind of 2000s pop rock or very Vanessa Carlton. I still love like, Avril Lavigne and Kelly Clarkson and all these like I I think all this like 2000s like girl led pop is like I just love it it it, it just it just hits on all the right in all the right places for me (laughs) (laughs) you put together a big virtual event called Secret Sky what was it like getting that whole big event together and how do you like performing virtually versus in person yeah, I mean, that was awesome, I think, because I, so that was early on in the pandemic, and it was when these virtual events were a little bit of a novelty, and it just felt like it was this great day where, like, I was able to take I think are cool and who I think are making great work that's deserving of more attention and put them all on the lineup, and it was just like this 12-hour nonstop all of the artists worked so hard on their sets, not only musically, but putting together amazing visuals too. People had projectors set up in their rooms and some people did stuff using like 3D, CG, like VR type stuff. I mean, everybody made such an effort and it was just like the celebration of music and musicians and of culture for like 12 hours straight. And I just remember me and my family as the live stream was playing, we we sort of barricaded ourselves in like our living room and we, we put blankets on all the windows so that no light would be let in. And we like set up a, a big projector on the wall and watched all the sets on this projector. And I was on, you know, I was in, I was in the chat 
and on social media, just hyping up all the artists and shouting out all the things that I love. And it just felt like this, like, you know what it felt like? This is such an American analogy, but it felt like the Super Bowl. Like, my mom brought out snacks, you know, and we had, like, pancakes. And I, we, it just felt like this all-day event. And I think it came at a really good time um, in the pandemic where just things were looking really bleak. We didn't know how long this was going to last. And um, we were able to have just this day of celebrating music. So it was awesome. That sounds so great, just so wholesome and really just fun. And I think, like you said, it's what was kind of needed at such a dark time in the world. Right. I, that's really what I hope to bring, honestly, with my music. I, I genuinely, there's no point for me if it if the music only serves me. And and I really want my time that I have in this world to be helpful to someone else. And so whether that's supporting other artists or making music that I think is supportive of people who are going through difficulty. Like, even though I'm 28, I've been on tour for like 10 years and I've done so much stuff. And it's like, I've had my fill of like trying to be this like awesome rock star DJ or whatever, like trying to be really cool. Uh, like I did that. And I think I kind of came out the other end feeling sort of unfulfilled. And the question for me was like, well, I know I still want to make music. I know I still have a really strong drive to do this and I still have more things to say and do with my music. So what's this all for? Because I don't think that fame is a great path towards fulfillment. Um, and so seeking more fame or seeking more money or whatever, it just didn't feel like good motivations for me. And so then I think I started taking much more motivation by trying to be genuinely helpful with my music. And, and um, who knows, you know, I mean, it could be five years from now, I'll just want to make party music again. I get tired of things really quickly. And, <laughs> and I love, that's one of my favorite things about like my, myself. There are a lot of things I would change about myself. But one thing that I do think helps me is that I just get bored of, various ideas quickly and I want to move on to the next thing. And I think that that always keeps me excited. So I like to any artist listening, I feel like it's a good thing to cultivate is always try to seek out new influences and try to synthesize new things that you love because like, ultimately I think a lot of what we're doing as artists is reframing things in novel ways. And I think that's just very stimulating and joy bringing. All right, my last question for you. If someone were to come yeah. to your city, hopefully post-pandemic, what is the one thing they have to do, see, eat, whatever it is? Oh, interesting. You know, I, I, I'm kind of the wrong person for this because <laughs> being from North Carolina, I, was, I grew up like literally on my mom's computer, like 12 hours a day, just making music. And once I started having other musicians in town um, to like bring them to the studio... People would kind of be like, what, what do you, what do we do while we're here? And I would be like, let me check Yelp because like, I don't leave my house. But I, um, I, one thing for, for anybody who does eat meat and I'm one of those people, um, North Carolina style barbecue is really, really special. Um, and you can't really quite get anything like it outside of North Carolina. It's very, it's spicy. It's vinegary. It's not very sweet. Um, and, you know, whenever I bring anyone out from, like, other barbecue sauces tend to be very thick and smoky and sugary. And the North Carolina style is a lot more, it's, it, it's yeah, it's more vinegary. It's, it's less thick. It's not nearly as sweet. 
Um, it's really unique, and it's with one of our main, like, cultural foods. I would say, like, yeah, eat Southern food, you know? Um, and, and before you ask, I have no idea why I don't have an accent. I truly don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that food sounds amazing. I might need to go have a separate, second lunch now because I'm so hungry after hearing about it. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, look up North Carolina pulled pork barbecue. It's, it's awesome. Thank you so much, Porter, for hanging out with me and the Studio Cuts podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Make sure to check out Look at the Sky by Porter Robinson and watch out for his upcoming album, Nurture. And don't forget to catch Sunday Studio Cuts, a new music show featuring all of the up-and-coming alternative music hosted by me every Sunday at 10 p.m. on 92.7-96.9 WRRV. Join us next week as we interview another up-and-coming alternative artist on the Studio Cuts podcast.